Well, this morning I want to talk about for a few minutes what the Bible says about baptism as a way to prepare our minds and our hearts for what we're about to witness and hear and and experience together. And I want to begin with a a funny story about baptism. Uh, A drunk man was stumbling through the woods and he came upon a preacher who was baptizing people in a river. And uh, he staggered into the water and bumped into the preacher and The preacher was immediately overwhelmed by the smell of alcohol, and he asked the man, are you ready to find Jesus? And the drunk answered, yes, I am. And so the preacher grabbed him and dunked him under the water, and when he pulled him back up, he he asked, have you found Jesus? The drunk replied, no, I haven't found Jesus. The preacher was shocked by the response, and so he dunked him under the water again just a little longer. Pulled him back up and asked, have you found Jesus? The drunk answered, no, I haven't found Jesus. And so the preacher, frustrated, submerged him once more and held him down for about 30 seconds until he began flailing his arms and kicking his feet and, and then finally pulled him back up and the preacher asked him one more time, for the, for the love of God, have you found Jesus? And the drunk wiped his eyes and caught his breath and finally said to the preacher, well, are you, are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> that, that man was obviously confused about baptism. And sadly, many people today, unbelievers and believers alike, not just those outside the church, but even those within the church are, are confused about baptism. And so I want to just show you Briefly, what the Bible says about baptism, and more importantly, what the Bible doesn't say. Um, I think any confusion or misunderstanding about baptism is, is typically the result of making the Bible say what it doesn't say about baptism. So I guess the best way to go about this is I'm just going to answer what I consider to be five critical questions about baptism that will ensure that your understanding of the ordinance of baptism is based on the Bible rather than maybe your uh, ecclesiastical tradition, your denominational um, preference, uh, your theological system uh, that maybe you, you work with in your mind and your heart. And so uh, we just want to go back to the Bible and say, hey, what does the Bible say? Not what, you're, what, 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 you, what, you, what you necessarily uh, did growing up, uh, not necessarily what you believe theologically, um, uh, uh, not based on your denomination that you were uh, a part of. But what does the Bible say? So the first question is, what, what is baptism? What, what is it? What is baptism? I think uh, we need to understand that the Bible talks about several kinds of baptism. Uh, first of all, there's spirit baptism. Uh, that's when a believer receives the Holy Spirit at the moment of their salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. And so we refer to that as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a, not a second-level um, experience that you have sometime after you're saved. It's a one-time event, which is synonymous with salvation. It's what happens when you get saved. You're, you're baptized uh, into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell with you and uh, he puts you in uh, the body of Christ. So there's spirit baptism. Uh, secondly, there's fire baptism. Fire baptism. This is when an unbeliever is judged 
by God. And we see this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. Uh, This is what John the Baptist said to those who had come out to, to watch him baptize people in the Jordan River. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I am, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable, unquenchable fire. Um, so fire baptism is the judgment of God. It's the wrath of God. Ultimately, it's uh, spending eternity in hell, uh, away from the presence of God. And so uh, that's not the kind of baptism you want to have anything to do with, okay? Spirit, bas- spirit basm- baptism, yes. Fire baptism, no. But the third type of baptism that's mentioned in the scriptures is water baptism. Water baptism. When a, a believer, a Christian is submerged in water as an outward demonstration of their inward decision to follow Christ. Uh, Of course, Matthew 28, verse 19, hopefully comes to mind first, where Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the idea here was that Christ's followers were to, go to, uh, were, were to go out and share the good news of salvation in Christ through his death, his resurrection, and those that repented of their sin and turned to follow Christ and put their faith in him, uh, they were to be baptized um, by immersion. So that's just zeroing in. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about water baptism this morning. Uh, but, but what is water baptism? Why, why is this something that... Uh, Christ ordained for us to do? Well, first of all, uh, it's, it's identification. It's identification. Uh, it's identification with Christ, um, and that's what baptism simply is. It's a, it's, a, it's a public confession of a person's commitment to Christ. It's an opportunity to, to get up in front of a group of people, and, and typically your local church, the, the church that you're a part of, and to publicly testify of how you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And so you, you're identifying with Christ. You're basically getting up and saying, hey, I want you all to know that I'm a Christian, and I'm not ashamed of that. Um, secondly, you're also identifying not just with Christ, but you're identifying with other Christians. And when a person is, is baptized, they're, they're taking their stand, again, not just with Christ, but with the rest of his followers. Um, it's an opportunity to identify yourself with the church, with the body of Christ. It's, it's uh, when you come to Christ, you come to the church. And so you're getting up and you're saying, listen, I, I just want you to know I'm, I'm one of you. And uh, I, I want you to hold me accountable uh, to, to be uh, who uh, Christ calls me to be and calls us to be. And so um, it's, a, it's an opportunity to, to identify with Christ. Um, you might remember the words of Jesus in Mark uh, chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels." And so I think baptism is one of the best ways, one of the clearest ways uh, that a a Christian can show they're not ashamed of Christ or the church. And in fact, back in New Testament times, getting baptized was the most 
obvious way to let others know that you'd become a Christian. Um, Those who got baptized were often persecuted, and some were even killed for choosing to follow Christ. And so uh, when this um, originally was ordained back in uh, the first century, uh, no half-hearted convert to Christ would ever think of getting baptized because they, they could get alienated from their family, they could get ostracized from their community, they could even be hunted down and killed um, for associating with Christ. And so only those who were truly committed to Christ were willing to pay the price to be openly associated with Christ and his followers. And so in light of that, I, I think it's safe to say that in our day, anyone who professes faith in Christ but is unwilling to get baptized should question the sincerity of their commitment to Christ. Why wouldn't you get baptized? If you're you're truly committed to Christ, what are you ashamed of? What are you embarrassed by? Why wouldn't you do that? Especially knowing that your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout church history have given their lives to stand up and testify that they were Christians and they were part of the, the church of Jesus Christ. And so... We need to understand, first of all, that baptism is identification, identification with Christ, identification with the church. Secondly, it's an illustration. It's an illustration. Take your Bibles and and turn to Romans chapter 6 for a moment. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Listen to what Paul says here about baptism. Romans chapter 6, verse 3, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, You guys are good Bible students. Um, Do you think that the baptism that Paul is referring to here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, is that water baptism or spirit baptism? What do you think? You're all scared to answer. A lot of times I'll ask you those questions and the answer is yes, right? And I think, um, as one of my seminary professors said, uh, this is a dry verse. This is a dry text, okay? In other words, the, the, what Paul had in mind was uh, spirit baptism. When he talks about, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, we've been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The, the idea here is, is that as Christians... Um, when we repented of our sin and we uh, placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were baptized by the Holy Spirit, and, in, 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 and at that moment, we were united with Christ in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. That's what it means that we're in Christ as Christians. And so when he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he rose from the dead, we rose from the dead, spiritually speaking. And so water baptism is a physical illustration of that spiritual reality that we experienced the moment that we were saved. We, we, we died, when we got saved, we died to our old way of life and, and, and rose to walk in newness of life. And so 
as we'll see in just a moment, when people are, when, when these uh, uh, eight folks are baptized, um, they're going to, we're going to baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we're going we're gonna to put them back under the water like this, and we're going to bring them back up like this. Why? Well, it's a picture, it's a symbol of them, of what happened when they got saved. Not what's happening right now, uh, but when they got saved, what, they, they died with Christ, they were buried with Christ, and they rose again to walk in newness of life. It's simply an illustration of salvation. So, so the point is this, baptism doesn't secure our salvation, it's merely a symbol of our salvation. It's like this thing right here I got on my finger. A lot of you have one of these as well. It's a wedding ring. Some of you want one of these as well, right? But you got this, we got this wedding ring, okay? Listen, just putting a, a wedding ring on your finger doesn't make you married. All, all this is, it, it just shows everyone else that you're married, okay? I could hand this, you know, to my son Jacob and he could put it on his finger. That wouldn't make him married, right? That would be weird, okay? But, but if, 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 if I've got this on, you've got this on, it just simply, it doesn't make you married, Right? If I don't wear this one day because I'm out working or something in the yard, doesn't mean I'm not married. No, this is a, an outward symbol that I am married. Um, in the same way, getting baptized doesn't make you a believer. It, it just shows other people that you are a believer. And so I guess I would add a third thing here. Not only is, is, is baptism identification, we need to understand that it's identification with Christ and His church. It, it's an illustration of our salvation. And I think I would just... Thirdly, I want to say it's not salvation. It's not salvation. And, and I have to emphasize that because there are some churches who believe and teach that a person must be baptized in order to be saved. And they think a person gets saved when they get baptized. It's what's called baptismal regeneration. And uh, th- this heretical view is taught and practiced by the Catholic Church and Episcopal Church and some sects of the Lutheran Church and, and probably the most well-known is the Church of Christ. Um, I'll never forget one uh, e- evening when uh, Kelly and I lived in California and we were uh, kind of away for the day and we'd gone up to one of our favorite places, Ventura Beach, there along the Pacific uh, Coast and it was just a lovely evening. The sun was setting and we're walking down the beach holding hands and you know it was just idyllic and this is great. And all of a sudden, I, we see this uh, huge crowd of people coming from the parking lot, walking across the beach towards the ocean. And I didn't see any kegs. I didn't see any firewood. I didn't see any, you know, marshmallows or hot dogs. And I thought, okay, this is a church. And they're, they're gonna, this is a baptism about to go down. And so I mingled into the crowd and I said, hey, what church are you guys from? And they said, we're from the L.A. Church of Christ. And the bells and whistles started going off in my head because I had had some conversations in previous months uh, with some L.A. Church of Christ members uh, who are very aggressive uh, in their belief about you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And so I looked at Kelly and said, honey, I got to see this. And she's like, rolls her eyes, right? Oh, great. So much for our romantic walk on the beach, right? (laughs) And so... I kicked into pastor mode, right? And so she went and sat in the car and I went down and I just kind of mingled into this crowd. And I was, and, and so there was uh, probably four or five college-age students that shared their testimony. And they were powerful testimonies. I was so blessed and encouraged to hear how these young people had come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And, and so I was, I was really encouraged. And then the, the leader of the group got up and uh, he said, quote, these young people are about to become our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I was like, what did he just say? Hey, they are, already are my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
from the sounds of their testimony. And then he said this, and remember now, when and he told the, the people that are getting baptized, remember when you come back in from, from, from getting baptized, all your sin is going to be left in the Pacific Ocean. And I was like, they really believe this stuff. I'd read about it. I'd had conversations about it, but when I watched it actually go down, they really actually believe this stuff and practice this stuff. And so what churches like that believe is that, that you're not a Christian until you get baptized, and, and, it's, and baptism is how you get your sins washed away. Um, I think this group, along with others, conclude from certain passages of Scripture that a person is saved by being baptized. In fact, they base their salvation on when they got baptized. If you ask somebody, I've asked people before, hey, when did you become a Christian? Well, I was baptized. Like, I didn't ask you when you got baptized. I asked you when you got saved, when you were born again. But they see no distinction between the two. And so what they believe, logically, they take this to its logical conclusion that if if a person dies before they're baptized, they're going to go to hell. That's the logical conclusion of that belief. And you say, well, where do they come up with this? Well, there's a few verses a handful of verses uh, in Scripture where you might conclude that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 22.16, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. 1 Peter 3.21 says, baptism now saves you. You're starting to think that that might be true, right? Well, that's what the Bible says. Well, again, Three verses in all of the Word of God that are a little confusing. Like, wait a minute, that, that doesn't sound right. And, and, and those who interpret these verses uh, to mean that a person must be baptized in order to be saved violate one of the most basic principles of biblical interpretation, and that is the analogy of Scripture, or what you're probably more familiar with is cross-referencing. That you don't, if there's a passage that's, that's maybe not clear and you're like, well, I gotta check this out. And so you look at a bunch of other passages, and, and, and the point is the Bible never contradicts itself. And so any interpretation of, of a specific passage that contradicts the, the general teaching of the rest of the scriptures, it, it has to be rejected. Even if it appears that a certain verse teaches that a person is saved by being baptized, it, it must mean something else. Why? Because the overwhelming evidence of Scripture is that a person is saved by grace through faith alone, apart from any works of their own. And I think the greatest proof that, that baptism does not save a person is all the verses in the Bible, and there's a lot of them, that make it crystal clear that a person is saved by turning from their sin and trusting in the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, including getting baptized. Along with that, I would say you have the story of the thief on the cross who was never baptized, but still was promised, right, by the Lord himself that he would be in heaven, he would be in paradise that day. Um, There's also a bunch of other people in the New Testament who, who Jesus and the apostles declared were forgiven for their sins and saved before they ever got baptized. Uh, baptism was something that came after uh, they were declared forgiven and saved. And so all I have to say, baptism is simply an outward demonstration of an inward decision. It's an outward demonstration of an inward decision. These eight people that are getting baptized this, this morning 
know they're not getting saved this morning. This is simply an opportunity for them to tell you how, when they were saved, how they were saved, and uh, that they want to celebrate that uh, by being baptized and following the Lord in obedience. Because the Bible says if you are saved, you should get baptized. So that's baptism. What is baptism? The second question, why should we get baptized? Why should we get baptized? Well, there's two basic reasons why we should get baptized. First of all, uh, baptism was modeled and commanded by Christ. It was modeled and commanded by Christ. Now, I think it's helpful to know a little bit of the history of baptism, okay? It wasn't like John the Baptist was the first person to ever baptize people. Um, The Jews would baptize people even in the Old Testament when a Gentile a proselyte, somebody who, a Gentile who wanted to worship the one true God of Israel, uh, if he wanted to become a, a Jew, a, a God follower, if you will, a believer in Jehovah, he had to be, number one, circumcised. Secondly, he had to be baptized by immersion. And thirdly, he had to present a sacrifice. And so the Jews were, were familiar with this rite of baptism. However, no Jew would ever get baptized because they didn't need to get baptized. Only the Gentiles needed to get baptized. And so here comes John the Baptist, and he starts telling them they need to repent and be baptized. And uh, they're going, what are you talking about? That, that we're not Gentiles, we're Jews. We're, God's, we're, the, we're the children of Israel. We're, we're the, we're the uh, sons of Abraham. And so John the Baptist was, was baptizing those Jews who were humble and repentant and who were longing for the coming of the Messiah. So this was a way to prepare them for the coming of Christ. And as you know, John, uh, um, Jesus came along... Um, and John said he was unworthy to baptize him, ba- baptize him, but Jesus commanded him to baptize him to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this was all part of, of Christ's incarnation, uh, becoming like us in his, in his life and in his death. Um, and so he was identifying with, with sinful humanity. He was not a sinner. He never sinned. He never uh, uh, needed to be, he didn't need to be baptized, if you will. It, it, this was his way of identifying with sinful humanity and, and ultimately prefiguring his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so Jesus was baptized. And he also, um, Jesus himself baptized people. We don't often think about that. But it says in John chapter 3, verse 22, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, okay, so we know that Jesus himself was baptizing um, along with his disciples. And then, of course, Jesus commanded his disciples to baptize Everyone who got saved through their witness, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, even to the end of the age. And so this clear command of Christ to all of his followers is why baptism is considered an ordinance of the church. Uh, We talk about an ordinance is, is something that Christ ordained, something that he commanded that he wanted his church to practice on a regular basis. And so there's only two ordinances, only two things that Christ ever commanded while he was on this earth that we as his followers practice. The first one is the Lord's Supper, communion. The second one is baptism. And so as you know, as a church, we usually celebrate uh, communion once a month. We're going to have the privilege of doing it this Friday 
at our Good Friday service, and uh, usually several times a year we'll have a baptism service, and this is our spring baptism service, um, and again, we're doing this um, because Christ modeled it and Christ commanded it. But secondly, it was also practiced by the early church. It was also practiced by the early church. Um, Acts chapter 2, a familiar passage where uh, this was uh, the, the, the result of Peter's famous first sermon at Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, he said this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Luke records, uh, Peter said to them, uh, this, this huge crowd that had gathered, uh, trying to figure out what in the world was going on. They heard their, the gospel being preached in all their uh, native languages and tongues by people that had never learned those languages. And so Paul, Peter was explaining to them. And then ultimately they were convicted and said, what should we do? Peter said, verse 38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about 3,000 souls, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so what we see here, the pattern of the, of the early church, they were following the Great Commission, and so people got saved, people repented of their sin, and they received uh, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and it says they were immediately baptized. 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people got baptized, and 3,000 people continued in the, the early church. It's a lot different from the typical evangelistic statistics today where, oh, 3,000 people got saved at this event, and 50 of them got baptized, and there's still 20 of them in the church today. This is, we, we, have, we have strayed far from the New Testament origins of the church and of baptism. And so I think in the mind of the first century Christians, salvation and baptism were inseparable. That's why you read what Peter said, and it sounds like you got to be baptized in order to be saved. It's almost like they're one and the same. Well, that was just how inseparable these things were. And, and according to the book of Acts, baptism was the first act of obedience for a new believer. And whenever someone got saved, they were immediately baptized. And so I guess the simple way to say it is this, that baptism is a non-optional act of obedience for everyone who professes to be a Christian. F.F. Bruce, a a great um, uh, commentator of old, said it this way, quote, the idea of an unbaptized Christian is simply not entertained in the New Testament. It's not a personal choice, it's a divine command. So again, it's a non-optional act of obedience. So that's why we should get baptized. It was modeled and commanded by Christ. It was practiced by the early church. The third question we could ask ourselves is, okay, who should get baptized? Who should get baptized? Well, hopefully the the, the answer is pretty obvious by now. Um, Based on everything we've we've talked about and and the verses we've read uh, regarding the meaning and the the purpose of baptism, it, it seems obvious from Scripture that the only people who should get baptized are who? Christians or believers. Um, that, that's why we, we uh, refer to this as believer's baptism. If you want a short answer, hey, what's your position on baptism? Well, we believe in believer's baptism. 
What we mean by that is that we think only Christians should be baptized, only those who have professed faith in Christ are the only people that should get baptized. You say, well, then why do so many churches or some churches baptize babies? It's what's called infant baptism. And uh, I think the first thing we we have to uh, understand is not all churches that practice infant baptism uh, do it for the same reason. I grew up in in a Lutheran church, and they baptized uh, infants, um, but it was a whole lot different than why the Catholic Church baptizes infants or or, or some other sects of the Lutheran Church um, uh, baptize infants. Um, Some churches teach that baptism is necessary for salvation. I've already mentioned that. And that baptizing babies is part of their salvation. Either it saves them or it's a step towards their salvation. Uh, The Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, again, certain sects of the of the Lutheran church, what might um, be promoted under the guise of christening, right? We're, we're getting our baby christened, baptized. And, and what, is, what is going on in that rite, that ritual, is, is they believe that a baby is being cleansed from their original sin. They come out sinful and they kind of get washed from their original sin. And so they're actually regenerated. They're born again. Uh, they're great, granted saving grace, even though they're incapable of exercising saving faith. And so, obviously, that's heretical. That's unbiblical. Um, now, there are some other churches in the more Reformed Presbyterian um, uh, tradition, um, often known as covenantalists, um, who baptize babies, but, but it's for a totally different reason. Um, they make a connection between circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament, and they believe the practice of baptism uh, in the New Testament, replaced the practice of circumcision in the Old Testament. So they're in their thinking, in the, in the same way Jewish babies were circumcised as a sign that they were part of the Old Covenant, the people of God, the, the Jews. Likewise, Christian babies, babies that are born in Christian homes, are to be baptized as a sign that they are members of the New Covenant family. Uh, so they're not getting saved, uh, but they're maybe anticipating that they will get saved because they're a part of the the covenant family. So I don't believe this is heretical. Uh, they're, they're not necessarily messing with the doctrine of salvation like uh, those who hold to baptism regeneration, but I think it's very confusing. Why? Because nowhere in Scripture is infant baptism ever even mentioned, either by command or by example. It's just not there. Uh, but what we do see in Scripture, particularly in the book of Acts, where entire households were baptized, which is, by the way, um, often uh, used as the proof text for infant baptism. Well, look, the, the entire family was baptized. So that must, there must have been babies in that mix. And so, um, you know, that, that's just pure assumption. Um, it's really an argument from silence that, that it's, it's inconclusive. And, and I think, on the other hand, all these incidents of, of family baptisms or households being baptized emphasize very clearly the say that saving faith was demonstrated by all those who were baptized. In other words, the entire family had come to Christ. Parents and children who had heard the word, they believed the word, and they were baptized. Those were the ones that were baptized, not just random, let's just baptize the baby. Bring the baby over here too and let's baptize them. Put them under the blessing, right? 
You may have heard of the, a group of, of people in church history called the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists, interesting group. Uh, during the Middle Ages, these Reformed believers, they were right in the heart of the Reformation in Europe, and uh, they were devoted to the study of Scripture. And as they were studying the Scriptures, they rediscovered uh, the New Testament pattern of hearing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, and being baptized. Hearing the Gospel, believing the Gospel, being baptized. And they saw this over and over and over again, and they concluded in their minds that, that belief must precede baptism. And therefore, infant baptism meant nothing in God's eyes. Now, all these guys had been raised in the Catholic Church in their day, and so they looked at each other and said, we've got to get rebaptized according to the pattern of the New Testament. And so they began to rebaptize one another, and uh, you can imagine how that went over uh, in the church. And uh, as a result, they, these guys were hated, um, these Anabaptists, which, by the way, means baptized again. That's the Anabaptist, baptized again. So these guys were hated. They were even hunted down and killed, not just by the Catholics, but even by the Protestants. Um, because uh, even in some Protestant circles, the Reformation was never completed. They still continued to baptize babies. Um, Luther himself, I don't know how he concluded this, but he said that babies can believe. And so he continued, even though he was the one that God used to, to launch, to spark the Reformation, he continued throughout his lifetime baptizing babies. And so these guys wanted to, wanted to finish the Reformation is what they were trying to do. And so, again, those of us who hold to, to the believer's baptism position stand in, in the historic tradition of the Anabaptists. And I'm proud to stand with those guys. They gave, some of them gave their lives for a biblical understanding, to, to defend a biblical understanding of baptism. And so, all that to say, we, we believe that baptism is only to be administered to those who have heard the gospel, who've repented of their sin, and are trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. Not those who have yet to believe in Christ, which includes babies, since babies can't believe. Um, and so, since infant baptism is not taught or exemplified anywhere in the New Testament, and, and whereas believer's baptism is, is both taught and exemplified all over the New Testament, we can confidently conclude that infant baptism is simply an unbiblical tradition that was added to the church somewhere in the third century, and it just uh, kind of grew in its popularity. Now, on a practical note, okay, so if we're not supposed to baptize Babies, well, how old does a person have to be in order to be baptized? Well, biblically speaking, we could say as soon as that child truly comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they should be able to get baptized, whether that's five years old, six years old, seven years old, ten years old. Um, there's no guidelines necessarily in Scripture other than they have to be a believer. Uh, as pastors and elders here at Lakeside, we've set a, a, what is a human standard uh, it's not necessarily based on uh, a particular verse or passage in Scripture. It's more just collective wisdom from lots of biblical principles. And that is that we think it's wiser uh, to wait until a person reaches adulthood, if you will, um, 12, 13 years old, junior high. It's when the, the Jews celebrate bar mitzvah, right? When a boy becomes a man, a, a girl becomes a woman. It, it's that kind of rite of passage, if you will. Um, but, but we've encouraged families and, and young people to wait, uh, children, to wait until they're 12, 13 years old. Why, why do we do that? 
Well, first of all, I think it's, it, it gives uh, an opportunity for that child to demonstrate the fruit of salvation, um, that, 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 that their parents can see, uh, their pastors can see, uh, their friends can see, they can even see changes in their lives as a result of their commitment to follow Christ. And that's a lot harder for a child, especially when he's been growing up in a Christian home. It's like, hey, I, I never had this, you know, wasn't like I was out, you know, selling drugs and killing people. And, you know, it was like I was a good little kid and I prayed to receive Jesus and my life really didn't change externally a whole bunch, right? So it just gives an opportunity to demonstrate that that, that salvation has indeed taken place. Uh, secondly, I think it gives them an opportunity to, 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 to articulate their testimony in a, in a much clearer way. And the older you get, you're able to articulate right, your salvation story. Um, and, and in light of the fact that that's what we do here at Lakeside, we, we don't just say, hey, these people are getting baptized, and we just psh, 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 and baptize them. No, we want to, hey, tell us your story. Right? So let's, we want to be blessed. We want to be encouraged by your story. And so articulate that story for us. And I think, ultimately... Uh, the, the older you are, the more fully you understand and appreciate the experience of baptism. I've met too many uh, people, older people, that are like, you know what, I was baptized. I got saved when I was five years old. I was baptized when I was six. I don't even remember it. I'm not sure that that's what God intended when it came to being baptized. I think he was intending it to be something they would remember, experience. You would remember the rest of your life. I told that to this group this morning. I said, guys, I trust that this day you will never forget. Um, it's the second most important day to your salvation, the day you get baptized. And some of the girls were sad because they thought it was the day they were going to get married. That was the second most important day. And I said, it's okay. You guys, for you girls, it's the third most important day. Um, but the point is, is this is, a, this is a highlight of your life. And so I think the older you are, the more you can uh, fully understand and appreciate that experience. And I, I'll admit, some of this conviction has come from my experience as a youth pastor. And I rebaptized re-bap- way too many teenagers who went to winter camp, who went to summer camp in their junior high or high school years, who recognized, you know what, they thought they were saved because their mom and dad were saved. It was just kind of their mom and dad's deal. But man, they truly got saved, right? And it was a radical change. It was a radical conversion uh, when they were in junior high or high school. And, and so they felt like they needed to get rebaptized, which it was the right thing to do. But I was like, you know, why are we doing this to, to these young people growing up in the church? Let's, let, let's give them time to, 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 uh, to grow up in Christ and, and where we're all, everybody's like thumbs up, mom, dad, everybody, pastors, let's just go for this. Um, and so that's why we do, why we encourage kids to wait. Fourth question, how should we get baptized? Okay, we, we've talked about what is baptism and, and why we do it and, 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 and who should be baptized. But the question is, how should we get baptized? Um, I mean, there's lots of different ways you can get baptized. I, I've seen uh, pictures in the newspaper uh, in in, in uh, some places, some parts of New York City where uh, there was this huge black church and they wanted to have a mass baptism. And so they had the fire department come and open up the fire hydrant and everybody just kind of ran around in the fire hydrant. And it was just kind of like, okay, you're all being baptized right at this moment. I've seen them with hoses, just hosing people down. That's, that's baptism. I mean, those are, that's kind of extreme examples, but there's, there's basically three modes of baptism, historically, ways to be baptized. There's, there's sprinkling, right? And you've seen the picture of the priest doing this and kind of sprinkling on people's head. There's, there's maybe the pouring, the pouring of water. You've seen that in the, the, the movies with the knights. You know, they get baptized the night they, when they're knighted, they get baptized, water's poured over their head. Or there's dunking or immersion. Um, 
I would just simply say this, immersion is the only form of baptism or mode of baptism that is taught or illustrated in the scriptures. And, and there's lots to, um, to prove this. Uh, there's the, the grammatical evidence, which is basically the word that's used to describe baptism. It's the word baptizo. That's the word in the Greek, which literally means to dip, to immerse completely, to totally submerge, and even in some cases to drown. That's what the word baptizo means. It, it was a word used to describe the process of dipping a piece of cloth in dye, just dipping it down in there and having it come up a different color. Now, it's easy to miss the, the, the literal meaning of baptizo because most English translations of, of the scriptures, your copy of the scriptures, they just simply transliterate the Greek word uh, rather than translate it. They just call it baptism. They don't put immersion. Uh, they don't translate it immersion. But, but you can insert the word immersion every time you see the word baptism in the New Testament and it would fit perfectly. It would fit perfectly. Either immersion in the spirit, immersion in, 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 uh, in, in water. So there's the grammatical evidence, the word baptizo. There's also the practical evidence, the wording surrounding occasions where people were baptized. For example, John the Baptist says, or it says about John the Baptist that he baptized in the Jordan River. Um, it says in John 3.23, John was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. Uh, the, the point is, you know, you don't need a river if you're just going to be pouring water over people's heads. John, John didn't walk around with a little bucket kind of sprinkling people with water. He said, hey, come down into the river with me. In fact, Jesus' baptism, it says, the language says he, went, he, he came up out of the water. He came up from the water. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 says he went down into the water and came up out of the water. And so it's clearly people are going actually into a body of water for the purpose of being immersed in that in that body of water. And I think more importantly, based on what we've already considered, baptism by immersion most fully illustrates our salvation, right? Sprinkling and pouring doesn't picture the death, burial, and resurrection, the walking in newness of life example, the illustration, where, again, I think the other forms of baptism miss the symbolism intended in this ordinance that we're about to witness. Last question, really quickly. What, what are the benefits of baptism? What are the benefits of baptism? If baptism doesn't, doesn't save us, well, then who cares? What does it accomplish? What are, what are the benefits that we receive as believers when we're baptized? Well, first of all, I would say we experience the blessings of obedience. I've, I've encouraged this group and said, hey, you guys are going to be blessed by the Lord because you are uh, following the Lord in obedience. You're obeying His word. And, and the Lord says, if you obey me, I'll bless you. And so we experience the blessings of obedience. I think, secondly, we're strengthened in our faith. We're strengthened in our faith. I mean, I, I, I probably didn't, shouldn't have said this because it scared him, but I said, this is probably the largest group of people you'll ever share the gospel with. But you think about it, this is an opportunity of a lifetime to share the gospel with a, with a room full of people um, so if you could do this, why can't you talk to your classmate in the cafeteria tomorrow and just share the gospel with them? You did it in front of 300 people, right? They're getting nervous again, sorry. But the point is, 
right? Why, why couldn't you do it with your coworker, your neighbor across the back fence, you know? Uh, man, this, is, this should just strengthen, bolster your strength. It also strengthens and encourages and builds up the body of Christ. We're encouraged. We're blessed. We're, we're strengthened. We're built up as we see the Lord's work in other people's lives. I think, thirdly, we're made more accountable. We're made more accountable. That's the one reason I think why people don't want to get baptized is because they have to get up in front of people and say, hey, just want you to know I'm a Christian. Well, they know they're going to have to live it now. And, uh, and so this is really, these guys are making themselves accountable, um, and that's a good thing. We all need accountability. And uh, so they're getting up and saying, hey, I'm a Christian, and they may not say this, but essentially what they're saying is, hey, I'm one of you. That means, you know, I'm, I'm fair game now. And uh, if you see me drifting down a, the path I shouldn't be going, I, I'm expecting you to come after me and bring me back. Um, and then lastly, I think, uh, what a great opportunity to share the gospel. Well, what, an, what, a, what a great opportunity to share the gospel. Um, just to, to preach the gospel and to illustrate the gospel um, when, we get, when we get baptized and share our testimony. Charles Spurgeon said this, quote, nothing is more plainly taught in the New Testament than it is the duty of every believer in Christ to be baptized. And yet, as we look over the Christian landscape today, there's a lot of Christians who've never been baptized. Or if they have been baptized, it's not the way the New Testament says they should be baptized. Maybe they were baptized before they were truly saved which includes those who were baptized as babies. A number of these uh, folks who are going to be baptized today were baptized as infants. And, and they understand now that, no, that, that didn't count. I wasn't saved back then. Now that I've truly committed my life to Christ, I understand what it means to be a Christian. I need to get re-baptized. we got some Anabaptists among us here. That's good. But if you've not been immersed since you made a conscious commitment to follow Christ, then, listen, you should get baptized. I don't mean right now. You're like, oh, great. Is he going to start calling us out? He's going to start baptizing a few extras this morning? No. But you need to really be challenged to think about this um, because if you've not been baptized as a believer in Christ, you, you fit into one of these categories. You may be ignorant. You, you've never been properly taught what the Bible teaches about baptism. Well, guess what? This message just eliminated that category for you, okay? Um, there's only four options that remain, okay? So if, if you're not ignorant, you're no longer ignorant. Number two is you're arrogant. Maybe you've gone so long without being baptized that you're embarrassed to get baptized now because you, you'd have to endure the humbling experience of admitting that, that you've been disobedient for many years, that you never went forward with baptism, even though you knew you should. Maybe you're indifferent. Maybe you're indifferent. You, it's just not a big deal in your life. It's, you've never, you know, never got around to it. It wasn't a priority. Uh, maybe you're defiant. Maybe you're unwilling to give up a certain sin that you're holding on to in, in your life, and so you want to avoid being a hypocrite, and so you just, I'm not about to get up there and say I'm something that I'm not. It could be that you're unregenerate. That the reason why you have no conviction, no compulsion whatsoever to be baptized is you don't have the Spirit of God in you. You're, just, you're content to hang around the, the church and have everyone think you're a Christian even though you're not truly saved. That could be the case. Well, there's one more 
category, and that's obedient. Obedient, that you realize the Bible says you need to be baptized, and so you humbly and you gladly and you willingly choose to obey God's word, and you just, it comes down to, listen, God said it in his word, and so I'm going to do it. And I'm so thankful for these uh, eight folks this morning who um, are here for that reason. They're part of the category of obedient people that, uh, that they just want to get up and, 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 be, and obey Christ and do what the Bible says. And they're trusting that he's going to use it in their life. He's going to use it in the life of those that they've invited to, to witness this and, and going to use it in the life of our church as well. And so I'm going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our baptisms. And then we're going to hear their testimonies one at a time. Father God, we're, we're so grateful uh, for the clarity that your word uh, provides us when it comes to this, this ordinance of baptism. And we've done a good job as, as human beings of messing it up and, and uh, confusing it in a lot of people's minds and hearts. And Lord, I'm thankful that we can uh, hear these testimonies this, this morning. I pray that you would grant each of these folks who's going to be sharing in just a moment uh, just the grace they need to, to clearly articulate your amazing grace and how it's transformed their lives. And Lord, that we would be blessed by their story. And ultimately, it's your story. Lord, you're the one that gets all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And again, Lord, if there's anyone here who has yet to truly commit to to their lives to follow and obey Jesus Christ, that, Lord, you would bring them under conviction today and that you would bring them to Christ uh, even as you have in the past during our baptism services. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.